in, uh, in 2022. I'll let you in behind the curtain just a little bit. Um, we're going to go into the uh, uh, spring season. My plan is we're going to have uh, we're going to have what we call first responders Sunday. So I'm going to get in touch with um, all the first responders in the area that would like to come join us for a Sunday morning, and we're going to hopefully line this whole altar up here with first responders who who are there for us when we need them the most. Right? I mean, when these emergencies happen, we call a number and people come. I mean, you go to you know third world countries, that's not a thing at all. So we are very blessed to be able to have that privilege. So I would like to have some prayer over all of those first responders that would uh, would come. And we're going to be doing that here coming up, so watch your calendars for that. Uh, this summer, we've got a huge, huge event coming up. It's, very, it's in the baby stages, the infant stages right now. But uh, if you all remember last year when Ryan Stevenson came and played this very church and we brought the, brought the house down, I mean, it was a Holy Spirit worship night. It was full, I mean, front to back, side to side. Well, we're going to do it again. He has agreed. He, uh, he texted me a few weeks ago and said, hey, I'm going to be up in that area again this summer. You got a few dates. Uh, here's some few dates that are available. Next thing you know, a little back and forth, and it's happening. So in July, he's going to come again. So we're going to be blessed with the music ministry of Ryan Stevenson. We might do something a little bit bigger outside, you know, weather permitting. But we got some good things coming um, this year, for sure, in 2022. We're not going to be a church that just sits idly by and hope things work out, and maybe it'll be okay if we do a little something here or there. There'll be celebrations and, and dinners and, and picnics and all of that will be, we can look forward to all of that. The best part about it is you don't have to sit idly by and watch it all happen. Y'all can get involved. Y'all can just come to me and say, hey, I want to be involved in whatever you're doing. Maybe it's a picnic. Maybe it's the concert. Maybe it's a first responders thing. Maybe you know someone. Maybe you're a volunteer firefighter or EMS or something like that, and you know people, and you can get in touch. Be a part of what we're doing. Don't just sit idly by and and come in and be entertained and go home. Be a part. Come in and, and say, you know what, Pastor, I want to do this. You know, And I'm the first one to say, come to me, and maybe I'm not the facilitator of it, but I'll point you in a direction. You know, I'll point you to someone else and say, you know what, so-and-so is running that. But we're not just going to sit idly by and let 2022 just, hey, hope for the best. No, no, no. We're a, we're a church on the move. Amen? We're a church that doesn't just sit by and watch things happen. We actually participate and make things happen. And we want kingdom work to happen here through what we do in this church. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen? Amen? Good night. It's New Year's Day Part 2. See, every year around this time of year, and those, those of you that don't know, you know, I, I alluded to it earlier, every year around this time of year, it's not only January and the beginning of a new year, but my birthday being on January 4th, y'all can start writing your cards now, January 4th, uh, just kidding, but it's always not only just a new year for me and for a lot of us, right, those, those January babies, um, it's a new, new year in our life. Right, it's we're celebrating another year, another birthday, another whatever. So happy new year, church. Happy new year. And today we begin a brand new series, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And and you know, we went went on um, our um, pastors and and spouses retreat back at the end of November, right? And then and as I've shared, I think before it was so refreshing and so just a time of renewal and worship and really getting hearing from God. And, and you know what, this is a time of like, okay, you know, I went there empty. I left there completely full and overflowing. And then Christmas season, Advent and all that started to happen. So it was busy, right? And then we took last week off to sort of take a breath. And now it's like, almost like I'm right off of 
it feels like I'm right off of that that refreshing um, retreat weekend. So y'all don't want to come to church on a Sunday morning when the pastor is fired up from being emptied out and filled up, right? So we're ready to go. This is a new year. We're beginning a brand new series, and I'm calling the series Mission 316. Now, there was a, an, an artist, a, a Christian artist, back in the early 90s, right? I got saved in the early 90s. Like, I've never been to church. Y'all don't, some of you know my testimony, but I had never set foot in a church. I got radically saved in the beginning of, of like 1994, 3 in there, and um, radically saved. Like, like I, my eyes were open, my life was changed to never be the same, walking with Jesus, never having been to a church, to going two or three times a week. I mean, I was like, ready to go. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. And, and someone said, well, here, here's, here's this whole, and I'd always been into music, right? I'm a music guy, and um, not the kind of music that you, you hear me noodling around, you might hear, he knows those secular songs? Well, that's my past, believe me. And, but I, and someone said, you know what, here's the music that we listen to as, as born-again believers. Here's our music. I'm like, you guys have music? All right. So I'll, I'll, here come the CDs. How many of them remember CDs? Right? I had a few. And you come and get the CDs. Well, somebody gave me the CD of a guy named Carmen. Anybody? Witness? Carmen. Carman. Right? C-A-R-M-A-N. Carmen. He just passed away, actually, shockingly, uh, last year. Um, Carmen. And he had this, this song. He had all these cool songs. And I'm like, man, this is cool. And then I got this song called Mission 316. Anybody know that song? Mission 316. It was a whole album called Mission 316. And I loved it. Um, and I actually went to that tour. He used to come for free to like big arenas, you know, like Covelli and, and a Civic Arena back in the day and all of that. And you just show up or donation, right? Put 10 bucks in the thing. You got to see a whole show. And Mission 316 was one of those tours that I got to see. And that always sort of stuck out to me. Mission 316. And, and how this series sort of came about, it's been over several, several years. And I've alluded to it a couple times, but you just read your Bible, right? You just read your Bible. And it's amazing to me how sometimes when I come to the third chapter of whatever book I'm reading, and I get to the 16th verse, oftentimes it seemed like that third chapter in the 16th verse really was a powerful word. And like, it just sort of, wait a second, this, we all know, right, John 3.16, we all know that, well, at least we should. But every time you look at it, this is 3.16, and that's 3.16. So I went through and looked at all the 3.16s in the Bible, and we're going to look at several of them in this series. But today, as we kick off this new series, Mission 3.16, I want to show a real quick video, and, and the impact of this one verse, John 3.16 uh, that has really globally, and uh, and I pray that the video just plays without a glitch, and I have it all unmuted, and 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 Sean can be ready to go, and I don't mess him up. So uh, let's just watch real quick. It's real short. Jesus Christos, Hiwatun, para que todo aquel que en él crea but have eternal life.
that one verse that can speak to so many languages, so many people across this great world, that one verse. Many people believe that it's the greatest verse in the entire Bible. The greatest verse of all time, John chapter 3, verse, 3, 6, verse 16. If you know about anything about anything, you've seen this verse around, right? You've seen at least reference to this verse around. In the NFL, right, there's, there's this guy. And I don't know how this guy is in all these different places, but this guy does what's called sign ministry, right? It looks a little, a little funny to me, but the guy thinks it's like important to him. Um, and he's at all the NFL games. You know this guy? There he is. He's in the end zone, um, most times in a very big game on national TV, and he's holding that sign up. John 3.16. He's at all these, he's at tennis matches, he's at golf tournaments, he's everywhere, this guy. And here, one, one time he was in, at baseball, biggest, this was like the World Series. Huge game. The Giants are in the series, and there's this guy right there on primetime television. You know, big moment, big, huge, ever, millions of people watching. And there he is. Same, I don't know if it's the same guy. It might be. Is it one of you? Confess right now if it's one of you. Oh, it's Jim. <laughs> anyway, he's at all these events. And we see this verse pop up, 316, John 316. How about this one? I bet you didn't know this. There's a clothing store that's called Forever 21. Anybody heard of it? Some people have heard of it. It's kind of for younger shoppers. That's why I don't think I've ever set foot in that store. And, and many of you may not have either. But something about Forever 21 that you may not have known is that when you pick up a, uh, any piece of clothing at the store, they give you this bright yellow bag. And on that bag on the bottom... John 3.16. There it is. Yeah. Forever 21. I know it's a secular company, but there it is. Anybody ever heard of a company called In-N-Out Burger? In-N-Out Burger. It's sort of a, yeah, it's sort of a West Coast chain, right? Burger joints, kind of five guys is our version, I think, of In-N-Out Burger, something like that. Um, but In-N-Out Burger, anybody ever had an In-N-Out Burger? I'd like one right now. Underneath every cup of soda, they call it, that's the way everybody else says, every, under every soda cup, there it is. John 3.16. It just shows up. And they put that reference on there. And so I think if you get like a, a shake, you get a different verse, and, and fries, you get a different verse on that wrapper, but right underneath the, the cup, John 3.16, there it is. Some of you might know this guy. Now, this is my boy. This, if you don't know, is Tim Tebow. This is my man, Timmy Tebow. And he told me I can call him that. Some people know that he texts me from time to time. And my kids are like, that's not really him, Dad. I'm like, it's him. Encouraging verses of the day and things like that. And it's always, I keep texting him back. He don't get back to me, but I keep telling him, Tim, this really isn't a good time. And I get nothing. So um, he's a little rude because he just texts me in the middle of not everything. But Tim Tebow, if you don't remember, he played for the Florida Gators. And the Florida Gators, led by Tim Tebow, uh, beat the Oklahoma Sooners. No Oklahoma fans? Because if, if I said Sooner, you'd say Boomer. Somebody said Boomer? 
He beat them for the national championship under his leadership. And um, in football, they put that black tape or paint underneath to help defect, deflect the bright lights. And this was on national television. He had a thing that he would put John 3.16. He would put other verses there too. But this was kind of one of his biggest moments in his, his collegiate career. And, uh, and, and it was on there. And after he did this, it, you know, on Google... John 3.16 was the number one thing searched in the world after Tim Tebow had that on his eyes. Now, why was it searched? Well, mostly it was because people really didn't know what it was. Now, I know most Christians know what it is, but he wore that John 3.16 on there, and the most, it was the most searched item on Google because they didn't exactly know what it was. But as Christians, a lot, you know, most of us know now, when I said I was radically saved back when I was in my early 20s, I didn't know what that was. I had no idea what John 3.16 was, meant, where it was found. I had no idea. But most of the Christians would know that. And, and we'll get into that now. We'll read the verse. And here it is. John chapter 3 and verse 16. And you should know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Say it with me, church. Eternal life. How many of you know the King James Version in those last two words? I like that. Everlasting life. Sounds very noble. Everlasting life. I love that. But this verse really is the entire gospel in a nutshell. And so as we look at this today, I'm going to guess that, that most of you have heard this verse, but maybe you've never really gotten into the verse. You're like, oh, it's just a verse. We know that. Let's move on, Pastor. Let's dig into it just a little bit. It's our mission to get into this 316 this morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. I'll look at four different angles on this verse. Number one, if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. If you're not much of a note taker, you probably want to write this down anyway. Number one, context. Now that shouldn't surprise you coming from this preacher. Context. Everybody say context. Not contest. Context. We talk about context. What are the first three rules of biblical interpretation? Context, context, context. Those are the first three rules. You can't just rip John 3.16 out of the Bible, although it does stand on its own. This verse happens to stand on its own. But you don't just want to rip it out out of context. Let's find out what was going on when, when Jesus spoke these words in, for when John in, and penned this down and what was happening with Jesus in this, this, in this interaction with another person. See, it's in the middle of a conversation between Jesus Christ and a man named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the what was known then as the Supreme Court of Israel. And, and he comes to Jesus and has this conversation. He was very curious. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a threatening conversation, I don't believe. And he comes and he has this conversation. It would be like this, someone on the Supreme Court, like, like Clarence Thomas or John Roberts or Ruth Ginsburg or someone like that, you know, before she died. Imagine if she called me up and said, Hey, Pastor, i got to ask you some Bible questions. I don't think that would happen. But, you know, that's kind of the level what this was like in this conversation. So you have a member of the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court of Israel then was called the Sanhedrin, right? Sanhedrin. 
And, and this man came, meeting Jesus and having this conversation, Nicodemus. He's part of the Supreme Court, or what we would call maybe a Supreme Court justice of his day. He knew the law. He studied the law. He protected the law. He understood the law. He believed in the law. In fact, he was, in many ways, the law. He decided, the Supreme Court decides what is law, what happens and what doesn't. And he is the law. And if you remember that Israel, for 1,500 years, that this is what they believe, that the law is what they believe. It's what they follow and what they teach. It's the the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament laws. And Nicodemus is in charge of making sure everyone's following those laws. In fact, there were 613 commandments in the law, and he was very much aware of what the old system, the Old Testament system of animal sacrifice for the atonement of sin looked like. That's what he believed. That's what he teaches. For 1,500 years, this was the tradition of the Jewish people. And then one day, out of the blue, this young rabbi named Jesus shows up they're like, where did this guy come from? And, and, and he starts teaching something new, something different than the law only. And he starts performing these miracles and he's healing people. And there's these large crowds and they're, and they're following this young rabbi. And the word on the street is that he could actually be the Messiah. And so Nicodemus, it's not that he feels threatened, he's inquisitive. And we, many scholars just believe that he's intrigued. He wants to know about this young rabbi. And I believe that in, in Nicodemus, God is stirring something in his heart. Because he gets curious. And I know that he would, he, I'm sure as a member of the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, he would be afraid that he would be ostracized if he met with Jesus like where everybody could see him. Like during the daytime, if he just walked up in front of everybody and said, Hey, Jesus, i got some questions for you. The other members of the Supreme Court may have looked on and thought, Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. So he, he, kind of, he, he meets Jesus at night, is what the Scripture tells us, so no one can see. And how many times in the Scriptures do we see people encountering Jesus at a time where no one would see them because of the fear that they would have of being ostracized by people who respect them or, the, or their friends or people that would throw things at them? Remember the woman at the well? Remember she went down at the, in the heat of the day when there wouldn't be that many people there. So many people come to Jesus sort of on, on the side or, or hey, hey, Jesus, I just wanted to, when there's not so many people around, they want to talk to him. And so that's how the text begins in John chapter 3, verse 2. If you just flip back a little bit, right, context. And the Bible is the best commentary on itself. You all know what a commentary is? It's sort of a book you read about the book you're reading. So you find out the deeper information and what's going on. And, and we all do it, you know, people that are going to speak and, and deliver messages from the Scriptures. We all look at commentaries. But the Bible is actually the best commentary on itself. Just read it in context. Flip back a few pages. Flip forward a few pages. Get a good study Bible. It'll take you all through the Scripture and it'll help you understand better. But he says this in John 3, 2. He says this. Hey, he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher that has come from God because no one could perform the signs and miracles and, and things that you're doing 
if God wasn't with him. And Jesus sort of cuts him off at the pass right there and gets right to the point in the very next verse. He says, well, I'll tell you the truth. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Born again. Now, Nicodemus is a smart man. He's got a, he's got a brilliant mind. He's a lawman. And he doesn't understand this. So he says in verse 4, hey, oh, what? I, I was, wasn't talking about that. Well, Jesus says, we're talking about it now. How can a man be born when he is old? How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks, surely he cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I mean, Jesus, what are you talking about? They have this lengthy conversation. What's important for us to note this morning is the context of John 3.16. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you might want to write this down too, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the law cannot save a man. The law is not what saves someone. Jesus tells him, by, by no means, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. Not read the law. Not, and Nicodemus doesn't understand, but Jesus is explaining that being saved is not a physical thing where you follow this physical law. That being born again, being saved, is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that takes place. And the only way you can be saved, Nicodemus, the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. And he says that. Only Jesus saves. And so that's kind of in the background. The context of this beautiful verse, John 3.16, starts way back and and it sort of sets the stage for Jesus to say what he says in John 3.16. But, you know, we take this out of context. In context, Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation about what really saves a man. So prior to John 3.16, Jesus is they're having this conversation about what really saves a man. And all Nicodemus knows is that the law, up until now, is what saves someone. And so Jesus, in that conversation, he says in John 3, verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Everyone who believes. Now, not, not everyone that follows the law. Everyone who, what's the, what's the verb here? What's the action word? Believes. It's everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. There it is again, eternal life. It's there again. And so, in 16, for God so loved the world, now we get to it, that He gave His one and only Son, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have this eternal life that we're talking about. And so there was the precursor to 3.16 where we're in now. Now what happens? Look forward a verse. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. You know, for a lawman, Nicodemus, you think about the law, you know, that's what the law does. The law condemns. It does, just because no one can keep the law. 613 rules that no one could ever follow every single one. And so Jesus is trying to simplify salvation to a brilliant man, really, who believes that we're saved by following the law. And he says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Keep going, verse 18, that whoever believes in him, there it is again, 
Whoever believes, not whoever keeps the 613, not whoever follows the law, not whoever sacrifices animals, but whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Well, praise the Lord, right? Wouldn't you love it if it stopped right there? Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Jesus is really telling the nation of Israel, Jesus is telling you, Jesus is telling me, Jesus is telling the United States of America, Jesus is in effect telling the world that the law cannot save a person, but only Jesus Christ can save an individual. Amen. Only Je- and that is, that is a mind-blowing thing to Nicodemus, and it should be a mind-blowing thing to us. Before I was radically saved, right? I had never set foot. I didn't know these verses. I didn't know anything about it. And when I heard this from someone who would witness to me and say, you know what? Jesus is the way. He's the only way. That made me perk up. Oh, what? He's the only way. Well, then read this verse. If you believe, hey, you're not condemned. Romans, right, follows through. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Same thing he says here. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Remember the Carmen guy I referred to earlier? A lot of you remembered who he was? Remember he had a lot of those trial-type videos, right? Where the saved person was good to go, all set, ready to roll into heaven. Here we go into heaven. And, but there was always one that would judge and that would say, you know what? Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Number two, compassion. So we have context, right? That's how we're going to look at this. And we're also going to look at this verse in the second part in compassion. Compassion. The first six words of this very famous verse, for God so loved, how, who? The world. God so loved the world. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the church. That's the heart of Jesus, what he's saying here. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of everything. That God in heaven loves all mankind. God loves you. He loves me. He even loves the person that's sitting right next to you. Look straight ahead at me. Look right ahead. God loves you. He loves the person you're sitting next to. He loves every single person walking around on this planet right now. Now, He doesn't condone all the things that we do all the time, but He loves us in spite of what we do. Now, when I look at the world around, you look around and you you, you just look out the front door, or you look online, or you look on the TV, whatever you're looking at, and, and we don't see a lot of this love, right? We see, a lot, in fact, what I see a lot of right now is, frankly, is hatred. It's hatred. I see one person hating another person. I, I don't know what it is about our, our politics, our media, our, the social media, where you, know, where you can hide behind a computer and, and say whatever you want to say and nobody can get to you, but we're just spewing forth hate in this country. And if you're not seeing it, your eyes aren't even open. <laughs> Hate comes, that's all I see. I don't see a lot of love. I don't see a lot of it. 
And I, you know, you're like, people just hate this one because of this and that one because of that. And, and a lot of times it's the same exact argument and you don't even see it. People don't even see that. People hate each other because of the color of their skin or because, you, you know, you've mistreated me or this person, I, and I have this hatred. And, and uh, you know, I, some people stand on a platform and they say, I hate you because you're, you're, you're a law-abiding citizen. And I, well, I hate you because I'm not. And it just goes back and forth and on and on. And this, all this hatred is out there right now, right now, today. I, I just, I see it everywhere. You do too. You know, I, I, I hate you because of this. Well, I hate you because of that. And there's all this hatred. You know, I hate you because you root for the Browns. And I hate you. Got to lighten it up a little bit, folks, or we'll go out of here really depressed. There are some serious divisions uh, in the world, but there are also some that are kind of petty. But nonetheless, that's what we see. But when we get to John 3.16, it's the Scripture telling us that God loves all of us. And I want you to write these three words down as quickly as you can. And we, we got we to start wrapping up. Write these three words. Undeserved, his love is undeserved. His love is unconditional. And His love is unsurpassed. There's nothing that measures up to the love of God. There's nothing you've ever done to deserve the love of God. And He's going to love you whether you're following Him. He's going to love you whether you're not following Him. In fact, I heard about a woman one time, and this is probably politically incorrect, so forgive me for this, and, I, and just roll with it. This, this woman, and the story is the way it was told to me, there was a hillbilly woman. And I'm sorry if you're a hillbilly and you're offended right now, but that's the way it was told to me. There was a hillbilly woman, and she lived up in the mountains. And this hillbilly... Why are people pointing at each other? There's a hillbilly woman. Leave some comments in the, in the video, in the thing down there, in the Facebook. Uh, there, she lived in the mountains. This hillbilly woman lived in the mountains. And she had 12 children. Living up there in the mountains, having kids all left and right. And one day, one of her 12, a boy, fell into a muddy marsh. And this young boy, he was covered head to toe in mud. Head to toe. And on the way home, he came across a skunk. And he got sprayed by the skunk. And he keeps on walking home. And he comes into the house and he's filthy. And he's dirty. And he stinks to high heaven. And his mother looks at him and she says, Well, I do declare. I think it'd be easier just to have it on than to try and clean you up. And I'm so glad that God doesn't do that to us. Right? God loves us whether we're, if we're good, He loves us when we screw up. And everywhere I look around, I see angry people, I see dishonest people, I see unforgiving people, I see immoral people, I see selfish people, I see rebellious people, I see divisive people, I see broken people. And you know what I really see? Lost people. I see lost people. I see people who have absolutely no regard for God or the things of God. We are a nation, and hear me folks, as a nation, not in this room for sure, but look at the bigger picture, and as a nation, we are as lost as lost can be. But in spite of our lostness, in spite of our disobedience and in spite of our irreverence for God, there is a God in heaven this morning, right now, as sure as you sit in this room, 
There is a God in heaven whose compassion never fails, whose love never fades, and His mercy endures forever. Oh, I think as believers that we, we, all, we all need to be a little bit more vocal about the love of God. Paul prayed this prayer in Ephesians 3, and you can look it up on your own, uh, that you and I and all of the saints, really, Paul pr- prayed this prayer, and it was for all of us, that somehow, if we could grasp if we could get a hold of, somehow understand how high and how wide and how long and how deep the love of Christ is. His love is wide enough to cover all of humanity. His love is long enough to reach every person. And no matter how far they've run from God, His love is high enough to cover anyone who thinks that they're smarter than God. And His love is deep enough to reach the person who is in deepest, deepest sin and rebellion. Church, God loves you, which leads us to one place. The cross. In this verse, God's love for you, for mankind, and for you specifically, leads us to one place. The cross. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. A couple of truths in this cross. One is that when God gives His Son, you can't forget that that is a sacrifice for God. It's a sacrifice. This is His what? One and only Son. One and only. Who does that? Who does that? I have two children. I wouldn't give up either one of them for any one of you. And I love you. I just love my children. I got to keep the children around. You know, I got two girls. Because through the children, maybe someday come grandchildren. Got to keep it in perspective, y'all. But God had one son, one son, and his son was perfect. The son never disobeyed. He never dishonored or or disobeyed his heavenly father. He was perfect in every way, always pleasing his heavenly father. Yet God, because of his love for us, you, me, willingly, at great sacrifice, he allows Jesus to go to that cross and die a cruel, excruciating death with nails going, nails going through his hands and feet. His back was beaten bloody raw. His face was beaten so bad they didn't even recognize him. They put this crown of razor-sharp thorns on his brow for you and for me. You see, it was a sacrifice. But secondly, you can't neglect this because this is the heart of the cross. It, the Son was a substitute. He goes to that cross and He dies in your place. He was a substitute. This, this whole thing of the cross is that you and I, you and me, you and I, us together, you, the people next to you, me, you, me, you, let's, let's get this clear, We should have been the ones hanging on that cross. We should have been the ones that were killed for our sins. That's what we deserved. But He took our place. He was the substitute. 
He took our place. Romans 3.23, many of you know it, say that all have sinned. That's what Romans 3.20 says. All have sinned. All means all. (laughs) All means all, y'all. All of us, every person, man, woman, child, look around, you have sinned. Your preacher, the person next to you, everybody, we've all sinned. And so Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the penalty, the result, the consequences of that sin that we have all committed is death. There's a penalty. There's a ransom to be paid. Something has to be paid for all this sin. This sin is what separates us from God in this life and the life to come. So sin is a big deal. Churches in America don't talk about sin anymore. But sin, folks, is a big deal. It's what separates us from holy God. you got to love Romans 5.8, and I put that one on here, that God demonstrates His own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Those four words are in the Bible. Christ died for us. If you're still awake this morning, say it with me one more time. Christ died for us. You've said it. They've come from your lips. Those words. God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners... We should have been the ones who died on that cross because we're the ones that committed the sin. Jesus committed no sin. And now, you know, you and I, we don't talk this way, right? This isn't kind of how we operate, right? We operate that if if you did wrong, you should be the one to pay for that. If you committed a crime, well, you should be the one that does the time. That's how we think. If you're the one who's been unfair, then you're the one who should suffer for being unfair. And so on and so on. But God, but God, sees us in our sin, in our transgressions, the Bible says, in our immorality, in our waywardness. Put any word you'd like there. And He says, no, 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 no. You should have to die because you're the one that did wrong. But God says, you know what? Step aside. And my son Jesus, that cross was laid out on the ground and they put him on that cross. He actually climbed on that cross. Willingly. Willingly. As a substance in your place. He laid down on that cross and he said, Dave, that's what I came for. Jesus climbed up on that cross in your place. Those four words at the end of that verse. Christ died for us. John 3.16 Very familiar. There's a song. Some of you might recognize a song. It is called The Old Rugged Cross. It's it's a song, it's a hymn that speaks of our lostness. It speaks of our blindness, our failures, the old 
rugged cross says that we were so hopelessly far gone that God had to resort to something so unspeakably reprehensible to save us, and so He allows the death of His Son upon an instrument. The cross is this instrument. God allowed that horrible death to be the loving sacrifice to cover our horrible sins. And I want you to know, I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear me this morning, church. You don't get to go to heaven if you brush up on your people skills. You don't get to go to heaven if you give a few dollars to a homeless person. That doesn't help seal your, your fate. It's a nice gesture, but you don't get to earn your way. You don't get to go to heaven because you go to church a couple of times a month or a couple times a year. You don't get to go to heaven because you recycle your plastic bottles to help save the planet. That doesn't give you points. You don't get to go to heaven by doing the right thing. You don't get to go to heaven because you drove your Prius to your Pilates class and you're doing your part. The old, rugged, bloodied cross tells me that my righteousness is so far short and inadequate of obtaining anything of value that it took a supernatural mystery that God in heaven who loved me and loved you so much that John 3.16 is in the Bible. He sends Jesus, His one and only Son, to experience a cruel, violent death upon a cross to pay the penalty to be the substitute for me. Because God loves me that much. The cross is a bloody mess because our lives are so messy we needed something a a messy cross it takes a bloodied messy messed up cross to heal this messed up world and to help this messed up life the cross of Jesus Christ I cannot leave you without this final point the final thing not only the cross, but then there's this last word and it's certainty. The last section of the, of the last part of John 3.16 that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not, not that whoever believes in Him hopefully will not perish. <laughs> not whoever believes in Him and does these five things. Not whoever believes in Him and recycles. (laughs) Whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Shall not. For God so loved the world. If anybody wants to be saved, he says, you don't have to, you don't get to be saved, he tells Nicodemus, right? Context. You don't get to be saved if you obey all the Old Testament laws and you never make a mistake. God so loved the world that he gave up his one and only son, Jesus, 
on a cross that whoever believes in Him, Jesus, shall not perish. But you will have, there's our two words, eternal life. Church, there's a couple of truths in this. First of all, eternity is in the balance. Eternity is in the balance. Don't walk out of here and think, man, that was a good sermon. (laughs) It's not whether this is a good sermon or not. The question is whether or not you're prepared for eternity. Eternity is in the balance in this verse. Because if your decision, your belief, your faith in Jesus, or your lack of faith, or your disbelief determines your eternity. That's the good question to ask. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Whoever believes in Him certainty shall not. And everyone is invited. That's the final point. Everyone is invited. That's the whoever part. Whoever. Whoever believes in Him. Jesus says, you're all welcome. Anybody can come. Revelation 22.17 says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. This is at the very end of the Scripture, you know, like when, when it's all coming to a close. There's still an invitation to come. It says, whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Anyone can come. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Anyone can come. Acts chapter 4 says that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men which we may be saved. Everyone is invited. We're going to close singing this song. If you would stand this morning. Sometimes we like to like to go out with a charge and go conquer the world in Jesus' name. Well, today I want you to feel just a little bit of the weight of the old rugged cross. And I know John 3.16 is very familiar and I hope and pray that God has shown you some things in the context of what this scripture tells us. He gave His one and only Son on that old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best 
For a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Sing the next verse. On that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. I'd like to read this portion. In that old rugged cross, it was stained with blood so divine a wondrous beauty I see. For t'was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So you know what? I'll cherish the old rugged cross. I'll cherish it. Until everything, all my trophies, everything I've acquired in this world, at last I'll lay down. You can't take it with you. And I will cling to the only thing. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And I will exchange it someday. For a crown. Would you pray with me? Father God, in your presence, in your awesome presence this morning, God.